Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's podcast from Dublin First Baptist Church in Dublin, North Carolina. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you listen to our message. For more information, please visit our website at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist as we listen to the preaching of God's Word. Inspired to write this psalm, we're going to find out that's pretty much the case. There is a few other uh, authors, Moses, sons of Asaph, sons of Korah, things like that. But David's the one God inspired to write this one. And we find we found that there's different genres or of psalms or different categories. Just like when we pick up that hymnal, if you look on the top left of every page, it'll say like what it fits under, whether it's about um, praise to God or God's providence or the love of God, things like that. And so uh, this one falls kind of into two at least, probably actually three, because there's no doubt it's messianic. Almost every psalm, in some regard, points to Jesus Christ. But this is mainly a lament psalm. Uh, and an imprecatory psalm. Now we know a lament psalm because we've had quite a few of them. Uh, A lament psalm is that uniquely Christian expression where uh, what we know to be true about God and who he is and how he acts, it doesn't seem to be aligning with our current life circumstances. And then we're gonna see that here in Psalm 35. It's also imprecatory and it's been a while since we've had uh, a psalm that had some imprecatory language in it so it's a good time to remind ourselves Uh, what that is because uh, honestly imprecatory verses can be a little bit off-putting if we don't understand why God would include them in his word. So imprecatory has to do with God uh, or us calling for God to judge or even destroy uh, his enemies. Notice, not his, David's enemies, uh, his God's enemies. Now, every once in a while, that's the same individuals. A key thing to understanding this is whenever we find David doing this in the book of the Psalms, uh, we got to remember a couple of things. First of all, God inspired David to write every word. This wasn't like God inspired the whole Psalm and David throws in some imprecatory language. No, God said, write this uh, when David wrote it. Secondly, in every instance, the reason or the purpose behind the use of uh, language like that, it's not petty. On David's behalf, it's not personal, it's purposeful. And this is the purpose behind it, Uh, God's glory. God's glory is at stake, not David's comfort, uh, not David's own human desires, but always God's character, God's conduct are what what is at stake. And he's saying, God, do this so you will be magnified. Just like we sang a minute ago, Holy Spirit, let us become more aware of your presence. Right now, there's things clouding it, injustice going on. And we're going to see that here in David's life. It's clouding my concept that you're present and you're active in my life. Uh, Let me be aware of your glory, we sang. And this is what David's going to sing as well. Let's read it. Psalm 35. Plead my cause, O Lord, with them that strive with me. Fight against them that fight against me. Take hold of shield and buckler and stand up for mine help. Draw out also the spear and stop the way against them that persecute me. Say unto my soul, I am thy salvation. Let them be confounded and put to shame that seek after my soul. Let them be turned back and brought to confusion that devise my hurt. Let them be a shaft before the wind and the angel of the Lord chase them. Let their way be dark and slippery and let the angel of the Lord persecute them. 
For without cause they have hid from me their net in a pit, which without cause they have digged for my soul. Let destruction come upon him at unawares, and, and let this net uh, that he hath hid catch himself. Into that very destruction let him fall. And my soul shall be joyful in the Lord, it shall rejoice in his salvation. All my bones shall say, Lord, who is like unto thee, which delivereth the poor from him that's too strong for him, yea, the poor and the needy from him that spoileth him. False witnesses did rise up. They laid to my charge things I knew not. They rewarded me evil for good to the spoiling of my soul. But as for me, when they were sick, my clothing was sackcloth. I humbled my soul with fasting, and my prayer returned into my own bosom. I behaved myself as though he had been my friend or brother. I bowed down heavily as one that mourneth for his mother. But in mine adversity, they rejoiced and gathered themselves together. Yea, the abjects gathered themselves together against me, and I knew it not. They did tear me and ceased not. With hypocritical mockers and feasts, they gnashed upon me with their teeth. Lord, how long wilt thou look on? Rescue my soul from their destructions, my darling from the lions. I will give thee thanks. In the great congregation, I will praise thee among much people. Let not them that are mine enemies wrongfully rejoice over me, neither let them wink with the eye that hate me without a cause. For they speak not peace, but they devise deceitful matters against them that are quiet in the land. Yea, they opened their mouth wide against me and said, Aha, aha, our eye hath seen it. This thou hast seen, O Lord, keep not silence. O Lord, be not far from me. Stir up thyself and awake to my judgment, even unto my cause, my God and my Lord. Judge me, O Lord, my God, according to thy righteousness, and let them not rejoice over me. Let them not say in their hearts, ah, so we would have it. Let them not say we would have swallowed them up. Let them be ashamed and brought to confusion together that rejoice at mine hurt. Let them be clothed with shame and dishonor that magnify themselves against me. Let them shout for joy and be glad that favor my righteous cause. Yea, let them say continually, let the Lord be magnified which hath pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. And my tongue shall speak of thy righteousness and of thy praise all the day long. Let's pray, Lord, as we look into your word tonight. Um, there might be some of us here who are right in the middle of this type of situation. Where evil people are uh, doing evil things or planning evil things or saying evil things against us without any cause. Um, there might be feelings, emotions, sentiments of betrayal and treachery. God, help us to be forgiving. May help us to put our hands in, in your hands, our life in your hands. God, I pray that we would learn from David here how we can move from a place where fear would be a very normal thing uh, to a place where faith is what brings you glory and brings us good. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Verses one to eight, David communicates his fear. All right, we've got that familiar Psalms trajectory. Start out with fear. By the end of the Psalm, you're in faith. How did he get from there to there? He focused on the facts, facts like who God is, what God's done, what God has promised to do. It's not as clean as some of the other Psalms where there's like definite breaks. Okay, uh, he was here in fear and, and now he's moving and you see faith building, you see faith building. We got a little bit more back and forth in this Psalm and we're gonna see that as we look at the verses. But you know what? I think that's a good thing because isn't that true in our lives too? I mean, has any of us been in a place of fear and now we're in a place of faith and we don't have any struggle with fear anymore? No, 
<laughs> Every day presents new challenges. Will I glorify God this morning? I know I dealt with it yesterday. I had victory yesterday, or maybe I didn't have victory yesterday, but today's a new challenge. Every hour might be a new challenge. All right, and there's some back and forth in our lives too. But he starts as uh, he often does, and as we should, he's starting in prayer there in verse one. In verses one to three, he talks about, this is what's causing us fear, the practices of the wicked, actual actions uh, wicked people are taking against him. In verse one, he pleads uh, for God to be his advocate or a lawyer, like a legal representative against his accusers, against his assailers. He says, plead my cause, O Lord. There's people striving against him, he said. There's people fighting against him. And he's saying, God, I need defense. I can't do it. But is there any better defense attorney? Any better advocate than going to the Lord? He says, plead my cause, O Lord. He's in a place where he needs God's help. Verse two, he says, be my shield and buckler. He uses two different words for a shield. Um, uh, shield is maga, and it's like a small kind of portable shield. You want that one because the other one, buckler, is like the full length the thing you might see in the old, you know, uh, Charlton, Charles Heston, whatever, movies, Moses and all that, like the Roman soldiers had that big one. That's a buckler, but you also had a shield or a maga. Uh, and he's asking God to be both of those for him. And stand up for my help. And not just defensive weapons, look in verse three. He says, grab a spear, Lord, grab a spear and stop the way or stop the pursuit of them that persecute me. Say unto my soul, I am thy salvation. I love that because he's saying, God, if you'll do this, if you'll come out, if you'll be my advocate, if you'll uh, be my shield and buckler, if you'll grab that spear, that is you saying to me, Jason, I'm your salvation. David, I'm your salvation. I get to see your, your acts. I know your character, but I, I wouldn't be praying if I didn't know your character, that you were capable of this. I want to see your conduct. I want to see you do this. This is what he's praying for here. Uh, that'd be a powerful fuel, a powerful propellant to help David move out of fear to a place of faith. Do you know that you've got an advocate too? You do. And we should be pleading to him. Uh, anytime we need forgiveness of sins, we should be going to that advocate. That's what Jesus called the promised Holy Spirit. In John 14, 16, he said, I'm gonna give you another comforter. If you look in the Greek, another doesn't mean like a different kind of one. It means another just like me. It's gonna be me. It's the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ. And he's like, it's better for you if I go away and send him because here in my human body currently, right now, I can be with just whoever is in earshot. <laughs> But when I go away and I send the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ, another comforter just like me, and that word comforter, the word is paraclete, which means advocate, it means like a legal defense, that's who I'm gonna be for you. And he's gonna be with you 24-7. He's gonna teach you all things. We need one, don't we? We need an advocate. Um, do you have accusers and slanderers? Don't need any testimonies, all right? And you might think, well, no, I really don't. I've never had that experience in my life. And God bless you, but I promise you got one. I know you got one. If you're a believer, you got one. His name's Satan. And there's nothing he loves to do better than go before God and accuse you of things just like he did Job. Now, the beautiful thing is we have something Job didn't have. We have Jesus Christ, who once he died and rose and ascended, this is where he is, and this is what he does for you, believer, if you'll use him. If, if you stop trying to hide your sin or, or not, not use his grace, not confess your sin, not repent of it, but if you'll run to him 
and use this advocate, Jesus Christ. In, he, in Hebrews 7, 25, it says this, um, talking about Jesus. Wherefore, he, Jesus, is able to save them, you and I, who put our faith and trust in him, to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing that he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Like that's his main thing right now. Jesus one thing, this is what he does. Until he returns, I don't know when that's gonna happen, but until that day, this is what Jesus is busy doing. He's interceding for you. Like literally praying for you. That's the concept there. When you, when you um, go to God, that, that might seem frightening to be real with God about your sins. Do you know why it's not frightening and why we should do it? Because we have an advocate. It's promised right there in Hebrews 7.25. There's a, uh, that old hymn, I love that hymn, my hope is in the Lord. And one of the verses, it says, and now for me he stands before the Father's throne. He shows his wounded hands and claims me as his own. When I come to God uh, in confession of sin, I don't have to worry about what the judgment's gonna be because it's been settled, amen? He shows his hands. Says, God, I paid for that, remember? Give him grace, I paid for that. I took care of that sin. That's our advocate, that's Jesus Christ. That's his current full-time role, 24-7. Now there's a second fear, and that's the plans of the wicked in verses four to eight. You know what, literal physical persecution, that might not be something we go through, David had it. You know, David was a warrior, and so that was probably a normal part of his life. When I was uh, going to church in Fayetteville, uh, we had a lot of guys in the 82nd Airborne and Special Operations Community, and we went through the Book of Psalms, and um, it really, they related to it very well because there was plenty of times their lives were literally threatened and in danger. We might not ever face that, but almost all of us will face at least the plans of the wicked. Um, we might not ever have literal physical persecution or uh, fighting or striving like he talked about in verse one, but most of us have been aware at least of evil plans against us in our lifetime, especially slander, and he highlights that in uh, the rest of this psalm. Verse four, he said, let them be confounded and put to shame that seek after my soul. They're seeking after his soul, and soul there meaning his whole person. Let them be turned back and brought to confusion that devise my hurt. They were planning on hurting David. They had nefarious intent. Uh, it says in verses seven and eight, uh, they had dug a pit and, and uh, put a net in there to trap him. Now you do that to somebody who doesn't, they, you don't want them to know. Uh, that's how they would trap birds and game animals back then. All right, and so they had done this. There's nefarious intent. And listen, you know what? You might never have physical attack, but just knowing about somebody's wicked plans for you, their nefarious intent, can that be pretty faith sapping at times? I think it is, has been in my life. You might not ever think, well, I don't know if they're gonna come to fruition or not, but even the fact that there's wicked plans against you can cause you to question God's goodness, can cause you to question God's power in your life. Notice in those verses, David two times says, now, this is without cause they've done this. David's not saying I'm innocent, like I'm the, we know David wasn't innocent. But in this situation, in this situation he was, in this particular context, uh, he was innocent. That's what he says. In verses five to six, we skipped over them when we jumped from four to seven and eight. But in the middle here, in this middle section, um, David turns to the same one, that same advocate 
for help. It says in verse five, let them be as chaff before the wind. That's worthless things. Like when you have a wheat or some barley, some kind of grain, they would winnow it and the, the husk, the hull would fly away and you'd have the grain, the part you want. Let them be as that worthless chaff, he says in verse five. And let the angel of the Lord chase them. Let their way be dark and slippery and let the angel of the Lord persecute them or, or pursue them. I just have this visual, like they're coming for David and all of a sudden they see the angel of the Lord and they're like, mm, maybe not, right? And they're going the other way. That's what it means. Let the angel of the Lord uh, pursue them. Now, who is angel of the Lord? Do I got one? I'd like to have one, right? It could be an angel. I mean, sometimes in the Bible, it just means an angel. Sometimes it's a specific angel. And David was part of Israel. He was the king of Israel. Michael is, is like the guardian of Israel. We find that in Daniel. It says one day Michael will stand up in the end times. And uh, Israel's going to have a rough time because of that. Could have been Michael. In the Old Testament, though, I think Tommy talked about this uh, maybe last week. I can't remember. We were talking about this. But in Psalm 34, it talks about the angel of the Lord encamping around those that fear him. And sometimes in the Old Testament, an angel of the Lord means Jesus Christ. It's something called a Christophany uh, where um, Christ was present before Bethlehem. But he didn't usually come to earth before Bethlehem. A few times to Abraham, to Jacob, when he wrestled with an angel, um, to Abraham and Melchizedek and that whole situation. There's been a couple of times when, when it was probably Jesus Christ. If we were discussing, if you ever wonder what it is, if they ever are like, don't bow down to me, probably not Jesus Christ, probably your basic angel, right? But um, here he says, let the, uh, let the angel of the Lord chase them. Let the angel of the Lord persecute them or, or, or pursue them. So he's turning to the very one. And whether or not that was a Christophany, let me tell you something, you and I do have the angel of the Lord Jesus Christ. David may not have, I don't know. I think I do believe that's what it is, but you and I, there's no question about it. We have that same advocate and he's the one that we should always run to when we're experiencing the practices of wicked people or the plans of wicked people. We've got to do that because the whole point of those are to destroy our faith. We don't want that to happen. So we run to the author and the finisher of our faith. David prays here that their evil practices and plans would be as chaff, that they'd be worthless. He wants them to get uh, caught in the same pit. In verse eight, let destruction come upon him unaware let, uh, and let his net that he hath hid, let him catch himself. That's what we call uh, poetic justice, right? And we've seen that even in the Bible. You remember the account of Esther and Haman and Mordecai? And Haman had some pretty evil plans for Mordecai and, and God's people Israel. But we know at the, end of the, at the end of that account there in the book of Esther, it was Haman who uh, fell into his own net. Much worse than that. Uh, David concentrates on the facts. So here's that step, all right? There's a very sudden transition in verse nine. Here he says, and my soul shall be joyful in the Lord and it shall rejoice in his salvation. If he'll fall in that net that he placed, if he'll fall in that pit he placed, well then my soul uh, will be joyful in the Lord. It shall rejoice in his salvation. We turn from imprecatory prayer, prayer uh, to insightful praise. Does David still have a struggle? We're gonna, I mean, this is a long Psalm. He's still gonna be talking about his struggle after this. Yeah. He still has a struggle. Does he have a savior? He has a savior. He has a savior in that struggle. And there's this two little verse movement here, nine and 10. He says, all my bones shall say, who is like unto thee, which delivereth the poor from him that is too strong from him. We've got this uh, two verse movement 
in trajectory from fear uh, to faith. He's, he's propelling, he's going, he's ascending in that trajectory. David decides, I'm gonna be joyful in the Lord. I am going to be joyful in the Lord. And he can do this and we can do this even in a similar situation, all right, because we are in the Lord. Don't lose sight of that tiny little word there. All right, he said, and my soul shall be joyful in the Lord. Even when you got people chasing you, trying to kill you, I can be joyful in the Lord. You know why? Because I'm in the Lord. I'm in the Lord. Elizabeth Elliot, uh, she had a quote that's just powerful to me. He said the, the um, secret of joy in a Christian life is, is Jesus Christ in me. It's not me in different circumstances. Don't matter what I'm going through. Christ is in me and I am in the Lord. I am in Christ. That union is what makes it possible to have joy no matter what you're going through. This is what David says he's going to do. He commits to it. He commits to holistic praise. You know what? My tongue's not enough. My bones are going to sing to you. This is a poetic way of saying you got my whole heart, God. I'm not reserving a little part to be angry or bitter while I worship. You got everything because you deserve everything because you're my advocate, because you're my deliverer. And that's what David commits to. Uh, even in, in verse 17, it says, Lord, how long wilt thou look on? Rescue my soul from their destructions, my darling from the lions, darlings, King James, for my one and only life from the lions. He says, how long? How long is the lyrics of lament? When we see these lament psalms from David, he's like, I believe in you, but how long am I gonna have to go through this? But even, even there, right, he's inferring that rescue is gonna happen. How long will you look on, rescue my soul from their destructions? He knows that he's praising a God who is holy, who is like you, he says in verses nine and 10. No one like you, no one like you. You're the one who can save me from this. So David focuses on God's character and conduct. Those are the facts that are so essential for you and I to focus on. If we're gonna move from fear to faith, that first step, you better know God's character. You better study God's character. You better listen to music that's talking about God's character and his conduct to remind you of who he is. Because right now, your life experience doesn't quite match with what you know to be true about him. And David's history and help. Those are some other facts. Look, verse 11, false witnesses did rise up. They laid to my charge things I knew not. This is part of David's history. Honestly, David's history is filled with slander. If we look back at First uh, and Second Samuel, this was a very recurring problem for David. And it's probably one in a Christian's life too. People in church are not immune from gossip and slander and hurtful words being said. And that's a fact too. And I think it's important that we don't always just go, well, you know, uh, the facts are God's character and conduct. Was David being slandered? Was that a fact? It was a fact. It was a fact. Um, we can't polarize or, or emphasize only the good facts from the bad facts. We have to be very real. I mean, we're not um, of that mindset where we're so heavenly minded, we're of no earthly good. We have to deal, if you don't really deal with the problem, you're not gonna really deal with the problem. Now, here's an example. Is cancer a fact? It's a fact. I mean, you pick any other struggle. Is it a fact? Yeah, it's a fact. Is God sovereign and omnipotent over cancer or fill in the blank? Yeah, that's a fact too. All right? I mean, that's what makes this psalm so beautiful. That's why we love this hymnal. 
because it's dealing with real issues in our lives and, and how we can overcome them and how, yes, these are both facts. There's no doubt about it, but I have a choice on which facts I'm going to focus on and which facts are gonna demand my gaze and demand my attention. I wanna find out why that is so important in a minute because uh, it has control has control. Verses 12 to 16, David's history, not just filled with slander, it's filled with people whom he showed loving grace to, but what did they do in return? They paid him back evil. They paid him back in pain, in betrayal, in treachery. I don't know if there's anything that's more painful than being betrayed, especially by someone you're very close to. Might be a family member, might be a longtime friend, might be a, a church member, and it's difficult David says, um, that's a fact too, God. Something I gotta deal with. Verses 12 to 16. He says, he rewarded me evil for good. When they, when they were sick, I put on sackcloth and prayed, humbled myself, fasted and prayed uh, for them. But when I have adversity, what do they do? Verse 15, they rejoice. In fact, they gather themselves together. They're tearing me, they're ceasing me not. And uh, I mentioned this not being just a psalm of lament or an imprecatory psalm, also a messianic psalm. Whenever we're going through these, look for Jesus. Was this Jesus' experience? Did Jesus face slander? I mean, honestly, in his ministry, <laughs> religious leaders, you've, the only reason you're doing all this is because you've got a demon in you. Uh, he gets to before, um, in the, in the mock trial that he had, slander. People paid to lie against him just so they could convict him. Yeah, he faced slander. Did he face betrayal? This fellow named Judas, with him for three years, was a disciple, held the money, had a pretty important position, and betrayed him. What about Peter? Man, Peter, he even told Peter, you're gonna do this. Ah, no way, Jesus, I die for you. He says, no, you'll do it. But when you, when you return, oh, I love that verse in Luke. He tells Peter, he says, Satan wants to sift you like wheat. He wants to have you. But I've prayed that your faith wouldn't fail. And it did for a minute. It did. But Jesus tells him, when you return, go and strengthen your brethren. Because honestly, they're in a worse place. They might not have actually denied me, but they took off too. And go and strengthen your brethren. I mean, Jesus faced all these very same things that we do. And we see, uh, yes, we see David's response. We even got a better response in knowing how Jesus responded uh, when people did. He was silent. He committed himself. He said, Father, into, my, into thy hands I commit my spirit. You're all powerful. <laughs> You're all good. You know what's best. This was David's history. So which set of facts does David focus on? Slanderers, betrayal. I mean, honestly, it's bookended there in verses nine and 10 by praise, by God's character in verse 10, by God's holiness uh, and saying, I'm gonna rejoice in your salvation, God's salvation in nine and 10. And then in verses uh, 11 to 16, he talks about the other facts, the very real facts. But then in verse 17, Lord, how long wilt thou look on? There he's emphasizing that God is his salvation and deliverer. Rescue my soul for their destructions. My, my darling, my one and only life from these lions. And then he immediately jumps into praise. This is the important thing though. What set of facts are we gonna focus on? Because cancer is a fact. Job loss is a fact. 
Relationship problems are a fact. Am I going to focus on those facts? I'm going to focus on God's character, God's conduct, who God is, what God has done in the past to help me believe that he's going to be that same God. He doesn't change. And what God has promised, what am I going to focus on? Am I going to focus on my painful history? I'm going to focus on God's powerful help. That's the key. And so David, in verses 18 to 28, he climbs to faith. This is where we usually see it. We see committed praise. Verse 18, he says, I will give thanks, just like verse 9. I will give thanks in the great congregation. I will praise thee among much people. He commits to praise. He anticipates uh, praising God because of deliverance. God, I know you're going to be gracious. That's just who you are. I know you're going to give me grace for every single day. Isn't that what he's promised in Lamentations? Morning. By morning, new mercies I see. Don't be taking advance on that. He's gonna have enough grace for you tomorrow. He's got grace enough for you today. That's God's promise to you. He says, but I'm, going, I'm gonna praise you. And I'm, notice how he praises. He praises in testimony to other people. And in, in a congregation, among much people, he said in verse 18. And they share in the joy that David experienced. If you jump down to verse 27, let them shout for joy and be glad that favor my righteous cause. Yea, let them say continually, let the Lord be magnified, which hath pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. So uh, there in verse 28, uh, he, David says uh, he's going to praise God all the day long. The people that he gave testimony to in verse 27, it says they're going to uh, say continually, let the Lord be magnified. There's committed praise there. And that's what we need to do in that process. When we're leaving fear, we're focusing on the facts about God and who he is for us in Jesus Christ. And then we begin uh, with committed praise. We also, we see confident prayer. Back in verse 19, 19 to 26, he gets real specific in his prayer request. Not like God just solved this whole problem. God, take this problem for me. He gets very specific. Verse 19, let not them that are my enemies wrongfully rejoice over me. Neither let them wink the eye, let them that wink the eye uh, hate me without cause. That's their little scheme and plans. And he says in verse twenty, for they speak not peace; they devise deceitful matters against them that are quiet in the land. Yea, they open their mouth wide against me. Said, aha, aha, our eye has seen it. This thou hast seen, O Lord. So don't keep silence. He says, God, don't be silent. Don't be far from me. Stir up yourself, awake to my judgment or justice is what that means. Even to my cause, my God and my Lord, judge me. Give me justice, O Lord, my God, according to thy righteousness. Let them not rejoice over me. Here's another prayer request. Verse 25, let them not say in their hearts, ah, so we would have them. Another one, let them not say, we have swallowed them up. Here's another one. Let them be ashamed and brought to confusion together that rejoice at mine hurt. Let them be clothed with shame and dishonor that magnify themselves against me. And so even in his prayer, in his very confident prayer, we're starting to see a little bit more of that same imprecatory language. And we might go, is that really what I'm supposed to pray for? Again, imprecatory language, we've got to understand it, uh, why it's in here what God's purpose is for it. Look at the end of verse 26, when he says, let them be clothed with shame and dishonor that magnify themselves against me. He's got substantial reasons to pray this way. He's not praying this way for vengeance, personal vengeance. He's not. He's not praying this way because 
We like to see the underdog win or the guy in the white hat and the cowboy western win. He's not praying this way even for poetic justice. He's praying this way because what do these assailers and accusers here in verse 26, what are they all about? They're clothed with, let them be clothed with shame and dishonor that magnify themselves. That's what they're about. Magnifying themselves. That's what people are a part about apart from a relationship with God through faith in Jesus. What is Satan about? What is he concerned with and consumed with? Magnifying himself, that's why he was cast out of heaven. It was because of pride. That's why he uh, gets people to be uh, consumed and concerned with magnifying themselves. And, and what does David, what is imprecatory language like we find here in this Psalm consumed with and concerned with? Look at verse 27 when he said, let them shout for joy and be glad that favor my righteous cause. cause. He let, let them say continually, let the Lord be magnified. That's what David's about. That's what David's congregation of, of God worshipers, worshipers are, are about. Continually, let the Lord be magnified. And you know what, that, that's faith really. And everything I value, and everything I think, everything I say, everything I do, I want God's glory to be magnified. That's faith. If Christians would do that, if that would be our one thing, God being magnified, God's glory being magnified, you know what happens? Fear becomes impotent. That's what happened in David's life. Sin becomes um, uh, powerless. Temptation is sin, powerless. And you and I get to live as ambassadors for Christ's kingdom here in this world. Because that's what his kingdom is consumed with and concerned with. His glory, that's what God himself is concerned with. His glory being magnified. It's why he created this world. Why did God create this world? I remember the catechism back in first grade and second grade and third grade in Bible class, I had to learn why was man created? Man was created for the glory of God. It was drilled into my head, praise the Lord, I'm thankful for that. That's, what is, that's why we we're created. That's why we were redeemed, wasn't it? Because we got in the way of that. That's why you and I have been recreated in Christ. That's why one day he's going to come and defeat all this self-magnification. And he's gonna make sure that there's only him and his glory being magnified. And so this is David's prayer. Manifest your character and conduct because I can't experience it right now. Uh, this world is clouding my capacity to see it. Please manifest your character and conduct. Please magnify your character and conduct. Come and rescue, come and redeem. That's David's committed praise. That's David's committed or uh, uh, confident prayer. And it should be ours too. So my question for you is, where is your focus tonight? Where's your focus? Is it on fear? Is it on the circumstances that cause it? I'm gonna ask the praise team to come up. Because if it's on fear of the circumstances that cause it, um, here's the thing. Guess what you're magnifying? Fear and circumstances that are causing it. But if we follow God's prescription here in Psalm 35 and every Psalm we've looked at so far, uh, from how to move from fear to faith, if we take that essential first step, that very first step, focus on the facts about who God is, what God's done, what God's promised to do for us, then guess what happens? Just like the words we're about to sing, the things of this world, they grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Let's sing it as a prayer tonight.